When I was 12 to 15 years old, and not old enough to get a work permit, I became very enterprising. I earned money mowing lawns, taking care of people's houses and yards when they were on vacation, and doing various forms of yard work. I helped neighbors with their cars, working on them, that is, and I washed cars. I helped people install appliances. I painted houses inside and out. Once I got a job installing a sprinkler system. Now I did more or less know what I was doing. I was 14 and we had just moved to the desert. It was summer. It was extraordinarily hot and I was not at all acclimated. I showed up at the home of a young couple on a Monday morning. The husband was at work. I started out by digging the trenches that I would need to lay down the plastic pipes. Since it cost money to rent the trencher, I decided I would do all the trenches the first day. As soon as I stepped into their backyard and started pushing the trencher, I felt the heat, big time. Sweat poured off me. I took breaks. I retreated from the blinding sun into the shade every now and then, but it was only slightly cooler there. I kept trying to push through, but by mid-morning, I was not in good shape. The yard was entirely dirt, and between the heat and the dust, I started having trouble breathing. I had asthma, but nowhere near as bad as my older brother had asthma, and so I didn't worry about it. Then suddenly, the slight stuffiness in my lungs turned into a thick, cottony feeling. I couldn't breathe. I fell to the ground, and under the intense sun, I rolled on my back, fighting for air. It was at this moment that the woman who owned the house, who had apparently been watching me through the sliding glass door that led to the backyard, came running outside. She came up to me, dropped down to her knees, and said something like, What have I done? I'll get back to this. Let's look at 1 Kings. 1 and 2 Kings were once a single book in the original Hebrew. Kings was written around 550 B.C. during the Babylonian exile, and it focuses on the stories of the Israelite kings and focuses to some extent in particular on King David. Here's our story from chapter 17 of 1 Kings. There's a major drought and the crops have failed. People are hungry. Elijah is a prophet. He served in the 9th century BC. He's considered the most romantic of all the prophets, perhaps of all biblical characters. He was very influential in his time. His focus was on having an unconditional trust in and loyalty to God. Elijah never dies. He ascends into heaven. He dresses oddly, and later John the Baptist would seemingly deliberately echo the way Elijah dressed in what was called hair cloth, a stiff fabric often woven from horse hair. Elijah is a rugged man who lives for a bit in a cave. He spends his life 
fighting the multi-god tendencies that seep from paganism into the faith of the Israelites. As a punishment against the king Ahab for building a temple to the pagan god Baal, Elijah predicts the drought that strikes Israel. This puts Elijah at risk, and to protect him, God sends Elijah out of Ahab's territory and into Phoenician territory. This area is also in drought. There's a poor widow. Elijah asks her to bring him some water and bread. This is a very big deal during a drought in the desert. Among people who survive, by growing very small plots of food. This is what she says to the prophet. As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. The widow explains that she has nothing baked and in fact only has a handful of flour and a bit of oil. She's at that moment collecting sticks to burn so that she can cook something for her and her son. She apparently believes that this will be their last meal. After it, they're going to starve to death. Elijah replies with this, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterward make yourself something for you and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Elijah tests her faith by telling her, to give him the last of her food. He tells her that once she does this, the containers of flour and oil will never again be empty because God has promised this. This proves to be true. Elijah stays with her for some time in their upper room. Then the woman's son dies of an illness. She cries out to Elijah this, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son. She apparently thinks that with Elijah in her house, God has been paying extra attention to her somehow and that this has revealed some hidden sin of hers. We need to keep in mind that in the ancient world, people often thought that illness in oneself or in a loved one was a punishment for some sin. Here's what we're told then happens. Elijah stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O God, my God, let this child's life come into him again. The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he revived. This story is intriguing. While this woman was convinced that her son would starve to death, the real threat was that he was going to come down with some sort of illness. We know today that he was likely to already have been sick with this disease when his mother 
chose to feed Elijah and was rewarded with an endless supply of flour and oil. Either way, God rewards her trust in God, which is evidenced by her obedience to the prophet Elijah. By saving her son, not from starvation, but from disease. We see that like all prophets, Elijah is a representative of God. Obeying Elijah by giving him the last of her flour and oil means that she has obeyed God's demand for unwavering trust. So let me get back to the saga of me and this sprinkler installation job in the desert sun. The woman asked me if she should call an ambulance. There was no 911 back then. You called the operator to get an ambulance. I remember the panicked look on her face. I shook my head no. She held my hand for a few minutes while the asthma attack subsided. Then she helped me into the house where she sat me down. She asked if she should call my mother. I said, no, please don't call my mom. I said I would be just fine in a minute and could get back to work. She realized why I was saying this. You really want this work, don't you, she said. I said, yes. Then she said that I didn't have to worry about the money. She would pay me anyway. She then proceeded to tell me that she had told her husband that morning, before he left for work, that she wasn't sure it was proper to have some poor teenaged kid working in the heat of the summer desert, that they would be taking advantage of me. I was, after all, a hell of a lot cheaper than a for real professional sprinkler installation person. Her husband, she said, had told her that I was young and healthy and that I would be just fine and this way they would save a lot of money. Money, she said to me. My husband and I just about got you killed so that we could save a little money. She proceeded to apologize to me over and over. Then she asked me if I would like some lemonade. I drank a glass of lemonade. I realized that I could get paid for the entire day. But the job was supposed to last two weeks. So I told her that I would go back out and continue trenching. She said no. She was not going to kill some hundred-pound boy so that her husband could save a few bucks to buy a new set of golf clubs. She then announced that she was going to pay me for the entire two weeks and her husband could put the damn sprinkler system in himself. So a couple of hours later, when her husband dashed home for lunch to see how the sprinkler system kid was doing, he was surprised to see that I had only managed to dig a few yards of trench. I was sitting in the kitchen eating the lunch his wife had made for me and drinking more lemonade. She took him into the next room and I could hear her whispering to him, explaining what had happened. Then he yelled out, what the hell? Pay him to do nothing for two weeks? Buddhists and Hindus have a notion called karma. The idea is that you live multiple lives and your actions during your current life will determine how joyful or nasty your next life will be. Christians do not generally believe in karma. 
You might suspect that the woman who hired me was concerned about her karma, worried that bad things would be sure to happen to her if she were to kill off some hundred-pound kid to save a few bucks. But that's not the case. In truth, she was a lot like that woman with the tiny amount of flour and oil, the woman who trusted God and knew that if she obeyed God, the right thing would happen. Yes, as it turns out, she and her husband were believers. There were a number of artifacts around the house that indicated this. Crosses on the walls, a plaque in the kitchen with a Bible quote on it, and a tiny baptismal dress on display in the living room, except that there was no child in the house. It was the husband who came back into the kitchen to talk to me. I was worried that he might start giving me a hard time, accusing me of trying to con them out of a couple weeks of pay. But he looked very thoughtful as he said to me, My wife is pregnant again. We had a little girl. She passed away. It's been very important to my wife that she stay positive, that she remains a good person, and that she not become bitter. That's why it's so important to her that we treat you well. We've got another child on the way. She knows it's because she has stayed thankful and has kept her trust in God. Here's how the sprinkler system was eventually built. I worked in the late afternoon and early evenings, and the husband joined me each day when he got home from work. I was paid far more hours than I worked. The sprinkler system ended up better than it would have been if I had built it on my own. This man actually taught me a lot. And I was saturated with snacks and drinks, with the wife insisting that I take very frequent breaks. The first couple of days, she came out every few minutes to make sure that I was still on my feet. I did not have any more asthma attacks, and in fact, with some floodlights turned on in the backyard, I learned a lesson that I would use many times after this as I earned money working in the desert. If at all possible, work at night. The prophets not only spoke for God, they often served as metaphors for God. We're told this, The Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came back into him again, and he revived. Elijah, by raising this woman's dead son back to life, shows that God can take someone who might have otherwise been broken by what's happened to them and bring them back to a state of joy. We learn from the story of the widow and Elijah that we should always trust in God, we also learn that God's protection isn't just some abstract moral thing. Having faith in God means more than achieving spiritual joy or a release from anxiety. God can and will help us in very real ways. That is often how God lifts us up, by restoring us in a physical way. Right here in this physical world.